It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. We're going to mix things up on today's show a little bit. Rather than focus on the results happening on court, although, of course, to hear about those results, hop on over to our mini break podcast feed. But rather than focus on those on-court results, we're going to take a step back and look at some of the off-court storylines that have emerged over the past few months in the professional tennis world. In particular, I want to offer an update on the economics right now in professional tennis. What are the latest developments? Where do things stand with the PTPA, the Professional Tennis Players Association, founded by Novak Djokovic and Vasek Pospisil last season. Of course, we also learned in the past few days that the ATP has given the go-ahead for multiple elements of the strategic plan that they unveiled last fall as well. Of course, that plan helped propel Andrea Gaudenzi into his role as president of the ATP. I want to talk about all of that on today's show. And if you're going to talk tennis economics, there is no better person to have join you than our returning champion here on our Crack Racket Show's friend of the program, staff writer for Sports Business Journal. It's Brett McCormick who joins me today to discuss his latest article discussing the developments surrounding the PTPA, surrounding the ATP strategic plan. We also take a look at the U.S. Open. Was it a success financially? What were some of Brett's takeaways from the business side? of the event. We dive a little bit into the economics of Labor Cup as well, because certainly that event is a disruptor in the tennis ecosystem. And, you know, they have found success from a business model standpoint thus far. Is that foreshadowing perhaps future events we may see in similar fashion to the event we have in Labor Cup? It is a fascinating discussion that I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy. Of course, as I mentioned at the top, if you are looking for updates, what's happening in Nur Sultan? What's happening in France this week on the ATP Tour? What about Ostrava, Columbus on the WTA side? We're covering all of that day in, day out on our mini break podcast feed have been able actually to ask questions of some of the ATP players competing in France and Nur Sultan to hear those from the presser segments, hop on over to our cracked interviews feed. But again, on today's show here, we're talking tennis economics with the one and only Brett McCormick. So with that in mind, Westoff, roll those credits. Let's get to today's show. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. 
joining us on the podcast today for an update on the economics on all things happening in the professional tennis world is a returning champion here on our Crack Racket shows. Of course, you know his work as a staff writer for Sports Business Journal. I know him as Brett with one T. It's our friend Brett McCormick. Brett, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today, my friend? Great. Thank you, as always, for having me on your podcast. Oh, it is a pleasure, and I feel like we have a lot to discuss, and honestly, I think the impetus for sending you a message, obviously, other than the fact that I like to have you on every six months just to talk about the latest updates, what was the number of honeydeuces sold? Was it like 2.5 million in honeydeuce? It was some some extraordinary stat, and I know you wrote about it uh, when you wrote your Open for Business Again uh, uh, article. I think they spend something like $250,000 on the cups or whatever just to get rocking and rolling. But, I mean, who would have thought that it's actually the sale of honeydeuce that is powering American tennis and the 14 top 100 men we now have in the singles rankings? <laughs> Hold on, I'm looking it up. 189,942. And some a- somebody had done the math. I don't remember how much they cost each, but it was many millions of dollars that they make off of uh the Grey Goose drink. So yeah. It's it's crazy. That's just absolutely it's awesome. it's, yeah. yeah, no, it's, it's you gotta great. love New York. Again, it's all things gaudy and of course I do wanna talk about that. I wanna talk about uh some of the Labor Cup discussions you've had because obviously the economics of that event, uh fascinating little wrinkle in the otherwise, you know, pretty solidified tennis ecosystem but the place we have to start today's conversation the true impetus for having you back on the show today you wrote a piece for sports business journal called second set ramp up the byline being Djokovic the ptpa looked to add executives grow services with plans to increase support for pro tennis players interests now of course some of our readers will immediately our listeners will immediately hear that and think i gotta go read that article asap worth noting it's behind a paywall guess what folks Good journalism costs money, and I do always have to say, and I'm buttering you up at the start. My mom raised me well, but if you want to know what's going on behind the business of tennis, subscribe to Sports Business Journal. Read everything Brett is writing because you will become a more informed tennis fan. And look, the place we have to start, we had you on the show last year with the initial announcement of the PTPA. We talked about the mechanics of that. In in that conversation, so much of it was about what we didn't know yet and what we were projecting for the next year to look like. Well, we're a year later. And you even start out your article, and it's a fantastic opening. You know, again, the PTPA, second paragraph, the PTPA is shooting for a much louder second year with plans to hire key executives, a full-time communications team, and player representatives scattered across the globe to beef up the organization's capabilities and messaging. That communication was sorely lacking during the organization's early months when it struggled to articulate its mission. I think that's the place we have to start. Because we're still a year later, and with all due respect to the Professional Tennis Players Association, the PTPA, they've nailed the acronym. They got that part right. But we still don't really know that much, Brett, and so I guess my question to you is, one year later, coming into this article, were there any additional, you know, again, were there any tidbits, or did it feel like you were starting fresh once again? Yeah, that's a good question. And my editor, who is uh, really blunt and good at... uh, (laughs) editing <laughs> was was like i sent him like a rough draft or something and he was like okay so what like they hired some people but like so what like what have they done or what what's next you know because he's not following it closely you know so he was like what what 
what you know this could be just in the executive transaction announcements you know they've they've hired people like so what so i had to i had to go back and like uh read that story a bit but um (laughs) but that was a great question because they're really for the six i think like for six months after their really you know surprising uh launch um it was pretty much dead silent and i think um the silence was only broken by um, Pospisil's, uh, mm-hmm. um, not sure what to call it, but at the... Uh, Episode's a little strong, but yeah. His, yeah, and I don't want to say outburst, because like, he was, yeah. he seemed very upset. And you know what, like, he's a, I, I take him as a very genuine person, even if, mm-hmm. you know, I know there's people in tennis that don't like him, but he's a, uh, I would say, an earnest person. And mm-hmm. so I think he was probably pretty upset that, Apparently, Godenzi chewed him out. But um, and and just was... quickly, the the moment you're referring to at the Miami yeah. Open during that match, it was caught on television. Caught him saying him, you know, he was yelling or talking to the chair umpire that he didn't appreciate Gaudenzi in his word, effing screaming at him. Yeah. Uh, la- the night before the match for trying to unify the players. Um, yeah, I mean that was a, a that was almost a that was like one of the mo- the. I suppose brightest inflection points for the PTPA thus yeah. far. It was kind of like, okay, was. so things are still happening. Yeah, I think it was. I also just love the thought of that chair umpire just being like, "What's up, man?" and then just getting <laughs> yeah. unloaded on, you know, like this, yeah. this, this, like you know, whole thing was going on. But um, no, no, I mean that was that was like the first we heard about it in months, and then after that, they like really it started to pick up a little bit they hired um the executive director in may and then in june they they got a little bit louder because they hired uh um carrie from anna shell and if you've ever dealt with her um you would understand what their uh communications you know uh ideas would be like she's she's very feisty um mm-hmm. she's a funny person and really feisty and her background actually her career began um, working with John McCain, so she okay. comes from politics. So she's like not afraid to like sling the. Sh- she's know, a maverick. Mix is... mix it up. Yeah, she yeah. she will mix it up. I, she's very feisty person, and um, you know probably the right kind of person for for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, and they expressed to me. So I talked to Vashik and um, Novak before the tournament. That was cool that I got to talk to Novak because I know he's busy and you know not to butter him up too much or anything but that was that was good to hear from him because he's like the figurehead of this i mean pospisil does it sounds like pospisil does pretty much everything but it's always like gonna be connected to novak because he's a bigger name um but they stressed how much stuff they were doing behind the scenes you know after the u.s open last year but i mean that just didn't matter because nobody was seeing it you know and they and the way they came onto the scene was so loud and and uh, brash you know, brash and, and kind of startling and yeah. then it just went silent and it to me it was just a continuation of like a a launch that was really not planned well and they and they didn't have any of these people that they have now on board then who would have done it very differently but um you know it just was like it was like uh fourth of july and you had one firework and then just realized like the rest of them we're duds, you know. Or, yeah, or no, that's so, a good comparison. And yeah. it, the one that comes to mind for me is you can, you know, you go back to the decision from LeBron, right? And them going down there and celebrating their going down to Miami, not one, not two, not three, not four. And it was this huge announcement, this, you know, big arrival, and all of a sudden people turned on them. 
I'm not saying it's a direct comparison, but I always like a Djokovic-LeBron comparison, and I think when you think about a big picture, the fact that they both defy history, the fact that they're both just athletic marvels, there's a lot of the fact that they, you know, Christ-like figures, almost to a T, just the chosen one from the moment they were 14, 15, 16 years old, and yet we saw the rollout of the PTPA right away, and there were no women in the initial photo, of yeah. course. There was no strategic plan. You know, there was a brief rubric on the website that respectfully looked like a junior in high school's high school project for their history <laughs> yeah. class where it's just kind of like you know step two of the project submit your rubric before you get to yeah. that research portion and it's just it was like, only missing like a 1990s like a clip art yeah, motion thing exactly you know? or there was no yeah. abc clio citation so i was like how legitimate <laughs> is this or whatever and so uh yeah shout out to the clio fans but no i you talk about a manifestation of their work. I do think there was one other incident for us to discuss, and we'll get to the ATP board's approval of elements of the strategic plan a little bit later in this pod. But in June, when they kind of rolled out that strategic plan more formally, well, they rolled it out last year, but they kind of it came to a crux, and the initial vote was supposed to be, I believe, in June of this season. And Djokovic kind of – and the PTPA through social media pressure, through just a lack – of you know, there was from Pospisil, from Djokovic, from all of the known figures who get into these sorts of discussions. And so frequently they happen to be on the men's side, but we are talking about the ATP strategic plan right now. Uh, they put a halt to that, right? They paused the vote. And that was kind of – that was another incident where it's like, oh, okay, there is a little bit of a movement going. And they did at least put, you know, tap the brakes for a little bit before just running along with this strategic plan. And that gets into kind of where the PTPA is now. Again, I guess let's just talk bluntly. You've already written the story, you've gotten the access. Hiring a communications team, hiring an executive director bringing on a COO, bringing on, and they call it, I believe it's a chief tennis, a CTO, a chief tennis officer, not exactly, but chief of operations as they relate to tennis, but chief tennis officer sounds right, way cooler. That's what I call myself at Cracked Rackets. So I'm, you know, a chief tennis <laughs> officer for the PTPA. Aren't these all things you do before you make the announcement that the PTPA is formed? Like, again, Bravo. The organization's been happening the past year. They've done the canvassing. They've done the grassroots work. To your point, Pospisil has made this a part of his identity. But it, it still dates back to the bungled rollout. Like, that is the most prominent thing for me when I think about the PTPA. Yeah, they're getting their ducks in a row, like, you know, 10, 8, 9 months later. I was going to say, it's how so, the ducks, sometimes when they're crossing a road, they see the car coming and they quickly turn, and then everyone stopped at the intersection being like, come on, ducks, <laughs> like, let's go. That's where we're at with the yeah. PTPA. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so they have those people now, and it's better late than never. And that's why the story was really, like, it's kind of um, go time. You know, like, it's time to do something. They couldn't have another year like the last one. Um and, and they shouldn't really, because one of the, there was a couple of big things that happened that at least put them in the position, I think, to make more noise. And, and that one of those is, um, financial backers. I mean, they've got some very wealthy people supporting them along with Novak who's kicking in his own money. So they have a runway to, to do stuff, um, that generally really inhibits it's a lot of similar type groups like you you can't take on you know these established types of sports organizations if you don't have 
you know, like very deep pockets. So that's going to help them a lot. I'm really, they're supposed to go on kind of like a hiring spree here in the next couple months. Very curious to see, um, you know, how that, how that goes, how that, how that works out. They're sort of looking for people that don't have conflicts of interest. So Novak admitted to me that their pool of people is like limited, you know, he himself, you know, is tightly connected to an ATP tournament. So it's sort of kind of funny that, you know, it's, it's, it's inescapable almost. Yeah. Belgrade's just going to be the PTPA event. Yeah. Like I wouldn't even, I wouldn't, I don't even necessarily consider him a hypocrite in that, Mm -hmm. in that, because it is such a part of the sport. It's inescapable. It's, It's inescapable and unavoidable. It's just a negative part of the sport in my opinion, because it just creates uh incestuous situations where the same people the same people benefit but anyway they're you know they're working with kind of a limited um pool of candidates and you know that that chief tennis officer chief industry officer um is critical because nobody in this original group that they've hired there are capable people but nobody has tennis knowledge or connections i mean they 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 just can't really do much i don't think if they don't have tennis knowledge because there are just um things about this sport that are really uh unique and that's one of the reasons i like to cover the business side of it because it is so different from every other american sport um in really how it's like if um you know the nfl or even mls which is one of the most you know controlled and financially organized leagues on the, on the planet it had to be to survive nearly going out of business those sports if you were thinking of like how they would look on a piece of paper would be like a connect four board very organized you know and like geometric mm-hmm. tennis would be a plate of spaghetti i mean it's <laughs> just like there's no uh, it, it just everything is tangled. It's too tangled. And I really, you know, like when we talk about the ATP strategic plan, I think that's just going to be a mirror held up to the sport. You know, yeah. some of it may pass, but there, there's no way the whole thing will. And uh, it, there's just too many competing interests and constituents that uh, have, you know, th- that are perpendicular instead of parallel. To your point, and just an example, as part of that new ATP strategic plan, there's an expansion. I think it's 12. Uh, I think <clears> they're <throat> trying to expand eight ATP Masters events or the, all the rest of the Masters events, yeah. or maybe seven of them, uh, to 12 days and then have a second ATP 250 rise up uh, that same that second week while all of the top players are playing uh, the, re- the rest of the Masters 1000 event. And, you know, again, why is that a conflict of interest? Well, you know, ATP Atlanta saying, whoa, 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 wait, you're hosting a second 250 that second week. You can't do that because then no one's going to come play our event two weeks prior. And it's different people who run the ATP event in Atlanta and the ATP second week hypothetical event that's going to be emerging on the calendar. And it's like, you know, when Carlos Silva left World Team Tennis, I did have an inclination like, huh, I wonder if he's going to the PTPA. That would be a hire. That's an inner industry guy. But of course, Mark Ein swooped him up right away. And you saw what the city opens doing all birds on the feet of all of their ball kids. All birds <laughs> is a sponsor. Just all the. That's a good Mark Ein and Carlos Silva is a match made in heaven. That is, that's just. They're that's childhood good. friends, apparently. 
Yeah, well, of course they are, right? Like the way, the same way we are. Um, no, I'm just, <laughs> yeah, um, but um, yeah, you didn't know that, Brett. But um, no, I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I yeah, I. But I agree with you, and it's to your spaghetti reference. It's not just a plate of spaghetti. It's a two-year-old's plate of spaghetti. There's meat sauce on the mouth of the ATP president, and there's, you know, a shirt stain for the tournament director over at this event. And, of course, all of the competing uh, federations as well, USTA, LTA, Tennis Australia, French Tennis Federation, and those are just the big ones. Yeah, the word cluster could be used appropriately it's just like it's tough to think of as you mentioned all the intertwined conflicts and just you know everything as it exists uh within the current structure of the sport that said you know again getting back to the rubric the ptpa claims to be focusing on three things and as you mentioned they brought in financial backers rebecca mcdonald and uh anton raby bill ackman they brought in carrie cecil and her firm uh to help uh, strategic partnerships and communications they're hoping to bring in a, you know higher ceo coo chief tennis industry officer as you mentioned over the next few months with the goal of these three things uh they would like the group uh you know for players in the atp uh to have just more of a say in the atp and wta decision making obviously that includes the financial concerns for the tours moving forward they'd like to address the sports tangled conflict of interest and see this that sees the same entities involved with tournaments player representation tour boards and they'd like to see a greater dispersal of pro tennis money to ensure more players ranked outside the top 100 can make a living now i think this is a good part portion for us to loop in the atp strategic plan and you look at that strategic plan and what was approved over, I think it was about five days ago, and this is from uh, Kamakshi uh, Tandin's report for Tennis.com, just getting this uh, from directly from her. Uh, they are, as I mentioned, including more 12-day Masters 1000 events and a new prize money sharing arrangement. Now, you look at what those are uh, specifically. Uh, they, the board approved some of the key aspects of its strategic plan for redesign of the men's tour. Again, it includes an agreement on new profit-sharing formula, long Long-term prize money levels, expanding more Masters 1000 tournaments to 12-day events. You look at how that prize money increase is going to work. It would be set at a 2.5% of a base level plus a bonus pool with a 50% share of the collective profit of the Masters events. Uh, They also are calling for changes to ATP Media, the broadcast arm of the ATP under the plan. It appears all tournaments would pool their rights to get a share in ATP Media. The tour will, in addition, create another independent entity called Tennis Dash. Data innovations, which will centralize the data rights. Of course, that is in relation to selling that data to gambling. Uh, in perspective, all, all of the you know the the data is the value. That's what you're selling if you are the ATP tour. Now, again, prize money increase, uh, long term strategic plan, pooling the data rights. These are all things the PTPA in theory should be for. And of course, throughout your piece, and I don't want to give the entire thing away, but you talk about the fact that. What the PTPA is looking for more than anything else is dialogue, is transparency. Some of that isn't addressed. Some of that is. How much of this approval is, you know, again, I I don't want to say it's a directly let's just take the PTPA's legs from under them. But how much of this being approved is just the impetus from the ATP to say we got to get our stuff together because all this stuff's coming downwind. Um, I feel like some of it is like a rush to beat them to getting organized. I mean, yeah. I, he he's wanted to do that. I mean, Godenzi mm-hmm. got this job based on like a version of this strategic plan. So, I mean, his whole thing, I mean, if he, 
I have sympathy for him because if you look at his first year on the job, I mean, he encountered COVID and then he had, you know, half of the players revolted against, you know, the organization, how it's been for 30 years. So he um, had a, you know, had a couple things happen that he didn't expect. So he wants to get the plan going because that's what he was, you know, hired to do. I mean, and they ran off the previous guy, you know, and, he was brought in to do something different. And uh, I mean, a, a lot, multiple times that I've talked to um, Pospisil, he said that they are good with the plan, that I think it's almost like more of how it's being done, you know? And yeah. I think uh, that's, um, you know, probably more of the issue is uh, um, structural or, uh, you know, I don't know the word, but like not, as much the the content of the plan is as of like how it comes to be um sure. and you know they, they want to see how the sausage is made for lack of a better term yeah yeah i mean they're not they're not getting much information from the tournaments on uh how much they're making um which is preventing them from making more educated um requests for mm-hmm. what they should be getting um which is fair because you know i mean there's no way they can know what they should ask for if they don't know what the tournaments are making. Um, and if it's a partnership, you should be willing to share that information. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I think that's a reasonable request. Mm-hmm. And I think the complaint that it costs too much or something like that is, you know, I mean, is like basically ridiculous. Um, <laughs> they, they, you know, the masters just don't want to share their um, financial information, but well, they also um, say that the new uh, financial arrangement comes off of, and this is even in uh, the Tennis.com readout of what's been approved, the complex arrangement includes an independent audit of tournament figures provided to the ATP Tour. What the PTPA is asking for is access to that audit. And the question I guess I would ask you, because the PTPA has said we don't want to you know, usurp the ATP Player Council. They have a role. The WTA Player Council has a role. We believe we have a role in this ecosystem as well. There's room for all three of these, dare I say, regulatory bodies on what the governing structures of tennis are doing. But I don't think the Player Councils get access to that independent audit as well. Like, uh, do they? I mean, that's the question because I, that's yeah. the valuable information is who gets to see the audit because that's yeah. that's everything. Yeah, I'm not clear on that either. Um, and th- that was – this story was the first time that I, and it may have been said before and I could have easily missed it. Um, I'm not saying that this was a, a scoop or anything, but that was the first time I had heard them expressly say that they didn't want to replace the players council and that they wanted to operate independently. Um, I had not heard that said that clearly before, um, which kind of further confused me because again, like, I, I guess one of the biggest questions in this second year and moving forward is like, what do they do to get the ATP to talk to them and to deal with them? We're not even discussing the WTA who they haven't even reached out to yet, which again is like kind of crazy to me, but malpractice, but yeah, but yeah, yeah, but it's, yes, it's yes. just weird. But, um, but I mean, what, you know, could the ATP just keep ignoring them kind of, and just, not give them what they want and and this is where you know i was asking adam larry the executive director like what if they just ignore you and don't play ball at all and that's where he was saying that they're working on a legal strategy 
this is where the financial backing is important because it enables that legal strategy. Um, and you know, that's where I'll be doing some sort of story probably for the end of the year, um, and research looking at like what kind of anti antitrust threats face the ATP and the WTA, because that's the stuff they'd be looking for. And it's kind of anti-competitive and, you know, antitrust ish to not share, you know, information with critical, you know, central constituents to the whole thing. I'm just saying, I don't know, this isn't a legal opinion or anything, but that there are things like that, that feel like, um, the only way that they would get resolved is through court or through legal threats, you know, because I, I don't have a good feeling for how the ATP feels about the BTPA. They, they wouldn't talk to me for this story. Um, which isn't really surprising. I'm not sure that they have anything to gain right now from legitimizing the PTPA or addressing it, but they obviously are mm -hmm. taking it, I would say, fairly seriously. I mean, um, or they're at least annoyed by them, uh, or at least were in the spring. Um, but it's really hard to say how they feel about the PTPA, like what, what, um, how legitimately they are concerned by them. So, I think that could be something else that we learn a lot more about in year two. Um, I think there will probably be like some secret, you know, discussions and meetings going on because the ATP, I could mm -hmm. see them. Um, this was interesting. So Adam Leary, I asked him, I was like, have you guys met with the ATP or talked with them? And he, and I could say this because I'll explain why I can say this, but he was like, you know, they have asked us not to say that we have. And I was like, uh, all right, yeah. that's weird. Cause then I emailed the ATP and they were like, yeah, we've had a little bit of dialogue with them, but I thought it was interesting. Mm -hmm. He was asking me to say, you know, to not, to not say that they had met with them. So he was trying to like acquiesce to their desire. And I think they can be nice and allow the ATP to save some face and try to move forward, you know, and to have some discussions okay, if you don't want us to say that we've met, like, whatever, but, like, we, the point is to discuss things and to try to, like, make it work. I'll be interested to see, like, mm -hmm. I feel like that is the way things will start to pick up a little bit. Well, it's so fascinating because one would imagine for the PTPA <clears throat> to accumulate power, to be taken legitimately, and you say in your story, and it's I think Djokovic saying, we don't want to negotiate through social media yeah. anymore like we had to in June to pressure the ATP board to pause that long-term strategic plan vote. But, you know, I, and again, pay for sports business uh, journal. <laughs> You know, again, good journalism talks uh, costs money. I feel bad because I'm ripping this story from you, but from your piece, public declarations from players backing the PTPA would grab attention too. According to Pospisil, the group has received support from nearly 80% of the players that wanted to reach on the ATP tour. On the women's side, only 80 players at the WTA or lower ITF levels have expressed support in private, according to Larry, their executive director. He said both players. Uh, he said players from both tours expressed fear of potential retribution from tournaments or the tours, and as such, the PPTPA doesn't plan on publicizing players' names. Djokovic said the group doesn't want to make it an individual battle about who signed or didn't. Isn't that what it has yeah, to no, be? Like, point, uh, with all due respect, yeah, that's asinine. Yeah, well, point taken, Djokovic, because like that is like a noble, higher-minded. Yeah. Sure. response but is it realistic at a certain point yeah. no they will have to be like we've got 
300 players that are backing us. Mm -hmm. We've got however many. And also notice on the women's side, it was 80, including ITF. So the, I, the, I almost think it's, I almost think numbers are bleak. I think that they are hesitant to announce because they don't have enough women that are, that are legitimate parts of the WTA tour. Um, that makes more sense to me than they want to protect players because the only retribution that could even remotely happen would be denial of wild cards. And if that occurred, they almost certainly would have very strong legal cases, you know, to, to, um, to challenge that. Like uh, there's really, there's really nothing that can be done to them that would be legal, you know, that, that they wouldn't be able to say, we joined this group and they immediately, um, you know, uh, anti and antitrust exactly, something. Exactly. Or other. And you even right. mentioned at the end of your piece, they have fi- they've formally, you know, nonprofit, uh, formally organized a nonprofit organization, trade association. borderline yeah. trade, yeah, trade association. Yeah. Um, yeah. So again, that that's part of it's good that they're organized, but doesn't the again? This is where at a certain point, part of your organization, part of legitimizing yourself, and I know we've we've referred to this throughout the, our opening thirty minutes here, but. You have to have a public-facing face. Yeah. You have to say, here's our CEO. Here's our organizational team. Here's our high-powered attorneys ready to take on each and every legal challenge that you say, well, this is an obstacle for us. We've been proven it's not an obstacle. This is available for the players. Stop telling us this isn't allowed. We now know it's allowed. And also, here's our roster, yeah. as you mentioned, of 300 players, including the 70 players in the top 100 who are ready to freaking boycott yeah. unless you listen to us and you open up your books. Short of that, because of all the intertwined con- uh, conflicts, because tennis can carry on as usual because it's really only the players at the top who feel a lot of the structural changes right now, like, again— Short of that, that's the structural change. That's the disruption of the ecosystem. You need that. Like, I, I'm, with all due respect, and again, I'm, you, this is my summary from your reporting, is that while they're trying to build the jaw, the teeth aren't there still for the PTPA. And I just don't know how yeah. you can get those teeth if you don't have the 300 people. Yeah, that's good, Alex. Yeah. They, they, they're <laughs> like you, a 89-year-old with, with they forgot his dentures. Um, yeah, exactly. And I, 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 again, I'm speculating here, but I had to do a lot of reading between the lines because, you know, I was getting one side mm-hmm. of the story because the other two sides really wouldn't say much. I mean, the WTA sent me like some, some statements and stuff, but they haven't even interacted. What do they have they, to say? They yeah, they don't have much to say. So, I mean, they're kind of just, mm-hmm. you know, if honestly, if I was a WTA, I would be like trying to counter program against them like so mm-hmm. much right now because they, they just have not even really engaged the women. I don't, I don't think like at a, at a, in a legitimate way. Anyway, I, I think that I think potentially they are concerned that they would do the same thing that they did at the U S open last year, which was like announced too soon. I really feel like they are probably going to try really hard in the next, um, probably like half year or something. I don't, I'm just making up a timeline, but in the next, sure. you know, in the coming months, make a huge effort to try to get a bunch more women players on board so that when they announce, you know, um, player support, it's going to look more even instead of 300 guys and, you know, 80 women. I mean, cause again, that would just, yeah. would, again, it would really undermine um, what they're trying to do. And, and I really feel like um, a couple, like, like maybe 10 crucial women could really bring on a lot of others. I mean, 
I'm, I, it would be, I think you said it earlier, malpractice if they have not tried to communicate with Naomi Osaka right now, who her 100%. issues over the last couple of months, like screamed for player union support, you know, in the U S the players associations of whatever league would have been behind her, like standing, sitting next to her during the press conference. I mean, that is like what the PTPA is trying to do is support players, you know, the, a, a functional PTPA would be talking mm-hmm. to both tours and the grand slam saying, how can we fix media um, access? Because this is not working for the players. One of their stated goals is to uh, help them maintain and, and improve and, and secure their physical and mental health. I mean, that, that, so if they have not made a big effort to get Osaka on board, then they're blowing it. I mean, because she, she is influential. She's young. She's going to be around for a long time. I think, um, even after her and she's break. a disruptor. And she's a disruptor. In, in, and she, in, in the positive way. Yeah, and yeah. she is shy as hell, but she is fierce and speaks her mind. You know, like yes. she will stand up for yes. what she thinks is right. And if they've done if they can't get somebody like her on board, then they're really gonna struggle with this uh well, lopsided this gets to perception. That, but but this gets where the the entanglements in tennis inevitably come up because you know who is perhaps the power player of all power players right now in tennis, Naomi Osaka's agent. Ma- I'm going to butcher, I don't want to butcher his last name, Max. For well, IMG. No, her agent I- is Stuart Duguid, but he is IMG. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Stuart, yeah. But, but, but I'm just I- saying the... In- IMG. Yeah. IMG is the power structure. Yeah. IMG is the conflict. And by the way, I have friends who are at IMG. I know yeah. people who are part of the IMG structure, and they do a lot of good for tennis. You know, they drive a lot of what we see, and you know, the resources they put into prospects who don't pan out are as much of the ecosystem as the resources they yeah. put into prospects who end up, give, you know, making them millions of dollars. And so, of course, there's a pro IMG argument out there, but like again, good luck, like, good luck getting someone out of their grasp. Yeah, I mean, and and um, you know, like. For example, last year, one of the people I talked to for the first PTPA article I did was Herwig Straka, who mm-hmm. um, represented Dominic Team at the time, um, owned and ran a tournament in Austria, and was on the um, tournament council. I mean, that's like mm-hmm. an immense conflict of that's, interest. <laughs> that's the trifecta. That's the, no, that's the, the trifecta. The trio. Exactly. Like, uh, the, I, yeah. I'm not sure what else was left. You know, like I mean, yeah, uh, ball boy at Wimbledon or. <laughs> Something. No, I mean, like, the best you know. is just like when Feliciano Lopez is in a draw, and it's just like I again shouts to you, Feliciano. Play the game as it you can play it. But like, why do you think he got the City Open wild card? Do you think it has to do with his tennis? Like, do you think it has to do with he puts butts in the seats? He's the freaking Madrid tournament director. He was like, "Yo, can I get a wild card?" Yeah. And it's like. Oh yeah, I can do you a solid. You're in the circle, yeah. and it's just like exist- those are the ones that are a slap in the, the face. The existence of the wild card thing itself is is it's it's not based off of uh, what you do. It's it's yeah. It, nobody knows what it's, it's based not a meritocracy. It's not a meritocracy. That was the word I was blanking on. Yeah. It's nobody knows what the criteria is because it differs for everybody. You know, so it's mm-hmm. I mean that the wild card might be the most pro tennis thing there is you know it's just there's no written down rules for it and it's it's just sort of like you know like everybody does whatever uses it as they need it you know and and 
um i don't know that that stuff to me is just almost intractable i'm i'm really not sure like how you break that up without some legal force or something because these people are not going to just surrender you know what they've got yeah they've worked forever to accumulate this sort of power i agree with you and just no absolutely again we talk about you know wimbledon writing checks to all the players wimbledon cashing in on their insurance policy well that cash in on the insurance policy put money in a bunch of people's pockets and you know what's not fun after someone gives you a nice little stipend in tough times to go poke their bear and say yeah but we need you to open up your books because if you're making this much money why is the itf event why are guys on the itf tour paying money to be professional tennis players that's just it's a tough you know, di- it's a tough dichotomy to try yeah, to balance. Timing is real. So we get, yeah, yeah sure. absolutely. And so, but you know, again, talking about arbitrary, uh, creative, you know, sorts of endeavors within tennis. One other thing I want to talk about before I let you go is the Labor Cup, because obviously the Labor Cup is the sort of event uh, that is not your traditional structure. Now, it is a byproduct of those traditional entanglements of power, yeah, where it comes it from is. the Gaudenzi, Roger Federer agency. Uh, Gaudenzi, excuse me, comes from the Tony Godsick uh, and Roger Federer agency, Team Eight, mm-hmm. and you know, t- Team Eight is Team Eight. That's discussion for a whole nother time. Um, but look. It's it's an interesting test because a they're hosting it amidst a pandemic and they changed a bunch of the rules for the tickets. You know you you got to be vaccinated and uh, they are offering refunds. I know for people in Europe who are planning to come and are no longer going to because of the pandemic. But I know anecdotally and just hearing from what I've hear that it's been a little tough to get refunds out of them if you don't want to go. I also know similarly there's no Roger Federer in the event. There's no Rafa. There's no Djokovic. Yeah. This is the first time the event's going to have to be sold on the new stars curious what you're hearing from your circles i know you recently wrote about this for sports business journal yeah i talked to tony yesterday he said he said this is the future of tennis without the big three yeah which uh, you know and he said um european team was almost i think it's all top 10 players so um yeah so it's okay so i do because we haven't talked about it and i won't say which journalist i will say i've tried to get Upward, I'll say it was eight people because it was eight people. I'm not going to say which eight. I've tried to get eight other people to come on the show to talk about Labor Cup with me and to talk about all of it, the good and the bad, the fact that they are utilizing Alex Virev as a promotional figure in this event after yeah. what can only be described at nicest as a damning second piece of evidence from Ben Rothenberg, his account of Alia Sharipova's uh, abuse, both physically and mentally, uh, emotionally, she sustained while in a relationship with Zverev. Of course, anytime we bring him up, go read the piece, speaks for itself. That's number one, and it's left a poopy flavor in everyone's mouth. Like, I, I'm sorry, that's a disgusting thought. I, you can usually come up with something better than that, like poopy flavor. I've been hanging around with your with your kid, clearly. Um, but... Um, <laughs> It just – it has been because they're blocking people on Twitter yeah. because, of course, shout out to Twitter. All right. There are pros and cons. The fact – you know, to a T, Slate article, Slate article, Slate article, Slate article, Slate article, Slate article. I totally – you know, I'm not going to knock anyone who's doing that. That's a completely fair response and that they're blocking people who are doing that. Talk about an exercise in pettiness. Yeah. Like what are we doing here? You're – uh, trying to be a template to grow the sport moving forward. You're trying to prove the engagement we can have and having a fun, non-traditional event structure, and you're doing that? Like, once again, tennis shoots itself in the foot. On the flip side, Labor Cup is always a fascinating data point. 
And this is the thing where I'm getting frustrated because it's been blackballed. You know, it's been it's it's event. I was gonna say persona non grata. It's event non grata, where it's just like we're not supposed. What are we? We're mothballing it. We're not talking about it. We're ignoring it. I don't think that's the proper response either, because again, in a vacuum, Laver Cup is just such a fascinating data point in the tennis ecosystem. He said. Uh, he said yesterday they never would ask for points. Which I thought was in, okay. which I thought was interesting. Like you know, I think yeah. like they would like points, but he said they yeah, would never ask for it. it. It's it's a weird it's a weird event in that way, and that like they you know French Open last year was just basically like you know yeah move along and uh, mm-hmm. they did they had to basically, yeah. but um you know only a three day event I feel like it has a big future in front of it because of the flexibility that it provides compared to the two fifties. So it could be something that could easily slot in behind a, a Masters 1000 tournament, especially if you had all those good players in one place. Um, it doesn't have a set location, so it's very flexible. Um, so I, that event, I think, is going nowhere. I also like the um, different format. It's cool. You know, like this week is Ryder Cup as well. So It's team. Yeah. It's a team event. It's cool. There it's is never – no one has ever watched a good team event in tennis, whether it's college level, whether it's a pro level event, Hopkins Cup, yeah. Davis Cup. Exactly. It always is enjoyed, particularly by the diehards. Now, then the moment you're like, well, should we introduce that more into the schedule? They're like, no. Right. Yeah. But like – it, I, I I agree with you. It's it's a change. It's a needed change. It's different and it's cool. Yeah. No, I think so. Yeah. I like that it moves around. I, I, he said they would. He didn't think they would ever change that. Um, they're going to London next year to kind of fill that void left by the um, mm-hmm. ATP Finals. And I thought it was really interesting yesterday that he was talking about. Uh, they've basically used Labor Cup as a uh, proof of concept. This is Team Eight. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about um, as a proof mm-hmm. of concept for bigger events like they're pursuing. Um, he didn't really give me like a lot of specifics, but he said they are interested in uh, bigger, um, more premium events. Premium was the word he used. Um, like he, a football equivalent. No, like premium that. Like, being not, like, no, not not like not American football. Sorry, like European. Like let's yeah, get maybe. Neymar, Ronaldo. Premium uh, being like I almost said Rooney. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, Rooney doesn't play anymore. Alex. Kamar. Yeah, I know. Um, I was like, wait, I I meant Harry Kane, but yeah. Uh, anyways, premium just being like I think of like. Um, formula one being premium but definitely tennis is it's definitely premium like a high percentage of the seats are you know high dollar seats that that come with Mm -hmm. hospitality and things like that so and they were interested in tennis he said and uh potentially i asked you know like atp tour and he said yes potentially so um you know there could be uh you could see them you know trying to get a uh oh he did mention also that there were um tournament sanctions that are for sale and available so um, he didn't tell me much more than that, but it, that's to be expected after the last two years. You know, there's there's right. undoubtedly um, events that have suffered, and then there's undoubtedly people that own 250s that are like, you know what, just let me cash in <laughs> while I can, <laughs> exactly. you know, before my tournament gets moved into the second week of something and, you know, basically falls off the face of the earth. So um, I thought that was interesting. They, they are very um, – uh, ambitious i think in in um what they're going to do with events and you know i think that's going to time well with federer probably kind of slowly sliding out of the game you know i think he'd be somebody that would um really lend a lot of weight to an event you know as a as a figurehead or or whatever um you know they've added uniqlo and on as uh sponsors this year which is absolutely shocking 
you know, that they were mm -hmm. able to land those deals um, with, you know, two of Federer's biggest sponsors, uh, one of which he owns part of it. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it kind of has those entanglements that, uh, you know, every great tennis event does, but um, it's a cool event. And I think uh, it's good on the ATP to be open to it. And I feel like really somehow they should find some sort of way to get points involved. Like maybe, um, you know, the NBA is talking about a midseason tournament to kind of spice up the midseason. Like, why wouldn't you do some sort of halfway ATP finals, you know, and, and do the Labor Cup, maybe move the, because if it's indoors, it would be a great summer event, you know, you could have it anywhere indoors um, and do, you know, kind of a halfway of the season and, and actually give points to these guys. Because it, you know, as an invite type thing as it is right now, you know, it, it wouldn't be fair to just give points to the people you invite, but um, you could do it with the, uh, top rated guys and you would still end up with mostly people you would have invited anyway you know with the odd i would just outlier. say yeah why not Her, just Herbert, make it 12... Hercotch peeking in yeah, there once exactly. in a while but or yeah. just like why not make it a 12-day event as well and put a 250 in the second week that's what you're doing with everything else just do it with labor cup too yeah yeah um, bring, but... bring everybody yeah yeah exactly for sure um no, it's it, again. It's fascinating. I do. I'm curious if you asked him, and I, I'm sure this is a tough one to ask. Ticket sales, TV numbers, et cetera, what they're thinking without Federer, without Djokovic. Oh, they expect to sell out all. again. Yeah. Oh, they're still expecting yeah. the sellout. So this was interesting too. He said when they went to Chicago, you know, they were really happy mm -hmm. that it. In the wake of that, um, the WTA uh, was like a 125 and a 250. They both came in the wake of that. And they were yeah. like, you know, they hope the same thing will happen with Boston because he was like, Boston is a big tennis community. Um, and we mm -hmm. would love for there to be this to like stir up the interest again and to, and, you know, to, to see something follow after. I thought that was like a good, a good idea, you know, for, mm -hmm. for their globe trotting is to try to kind of boost um, U.S. tennis. But they, <clears throat> they expect to sell out and um, they, let's see, they lost money the first year in Prague, but they've made money every year since. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it's a, an event that does really well. Has um, yeah. you know, if you have it in an NBA arena, you have really good premium seating, like that's already set up. Mm -hmm. TD Garden is super nice. Um, had a really huge renovation um, not that long ago, so um, they'll be able to um, make you know make some money off of really good premium experiences. So that's that's mm -hmm. one of tennis's uh, you know um, bread and butter things yeah no i was there in chicago it was freaking awesome and so uh again yeah, that will it cool will be, event yeah yeah absolutely so it'll be interesting to monitor last question for you i want to talk a little u.s open obviously it is the the funnel the uh the well with that feeds all whatever it feeds the rest of the tennis ecosystem the usta is the usta because it has the u.s open to make a bunch of money with yeah. and uh of course I'm curious how they did. I saw it was like 85% of the capacity compared to 2019, I think, or something like that. And I know both the men's and the women's final drew pretty good numbers in terms of the television ratings. But the thing you wrote about that caught my eye, Chinese U.S. Open show draws big numbers. Now, Good Morning U.S. Open, daily live stream U.S. Open show specifically geared to a Chinese audience, garnered 40 million views, 270,000 engagements during the tournament on the various uh, platforms. They averaged 3 million daily viewers as well. I mean, obviously it helps. Emma Raducanu, fluent in Mandarin. Yeah. And, you know, that, that was that, like, you know, they could have uh, never planned that. Yeah, exactly. And 
Look, it's worth mentioning. We had it back in 2019. Tumani Cario wrote a really good piece about the WTA's entanglement with China and is that a conflict moving forward? And we don't have to get into the politics of relationships with China right now. Um, but, you know, I think it was a $14 million pot for the 2019 WTA Tour Finals, and that was a record, men's or women's. And the women were making more in that event than the men were. And the men, you know, it's a put up or shut up sort of thing for uh, for the women. China has given the money. China has committed to hosting events, and obviously it's been canceled with the pandemic so we haven't gotten to see that manifest itself over the past few falls but china is in and 40 million views with radakanu on the horizon as well i mean is that again is it are we tapping into the well like what are your what are your thoughts on all this this is an easier way to do it because they're not holding events there or anything like that Mm -hmm. they're just reaching the market i mean this Mm -hmm. is Tennis fans need to understand that the U.S. Open is a sports business titan. Like, they are best of the best. I mean, their sponsor list is blue chip, like, is as good as it gets. Um, they're very smart people. I'm not buttering them up. Like, they, they, mm-hmm. are, they are good. And this is how you deal with China right now. You know, there's been a lot of uh, finickiness, I would say, after that NBA stuff, for sure, you know. Um, you have to be really careful when you go into China, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't deal with China. And doing this Weibo show was brilliant because they didn't have to run anything by the Chinese government or whatever. They used Chinese people, Chinese. Um, she had a funny Kirsten, Kirsten Corio, who's the head of um, digital at US Open. She had a funny term for it. I can't remember what it was, but it was basically how they say social media influencers. Um, uh-huh. they use them to host the show. They kind of, I would say, already knew sort of what they could do and what they couldn't, you know, which not to say that there were big restrictions on them because it's China, but that's what Americans immediately are going to think about is like, oh, what, you know, what can you not do? How much are you going to get censored? But um, doing the, doing, reaching the Chinese audience this way was just really smart. Um, she said they put a significant investment into producing the show. So it's not like it was peanuts, but I would say it definitely paid off. And then the Radicanu thing was just like icing on the cake. I mean, first of all, I don't think anybody probably in the tennis ecosystem knew that her mom was Chinese before this event. Um, mm-hmm. And probably not even until maybe midway through it. Um, mm-hmm. And then when she ended up winning, I mean, that that was just something that was really like extra special that they were able to deliver for this audience that was like really unique, you know, it'd be like if, um, I don't know, like if the Milwaukee Bucks had done a show in Greek all year, you know, and then won the, not even really because Radicana came out of nowhere. I don't know. It's not, a, it's not, <laughs> yeah. it's not an easy thing to compare to, but it just was, they really like went all in on an audience with a lot of potential and it paid off like, enormously um and they may have like the biggest presence in china right now which is crazy given that the australian open exists and the australian open has made also you know really big inroads and and big efforts with all of the asia pacific countries um but you know this was a big coup for the u.s open i would say it was really smart uh moved by them and something i'm sure they'll do in the future yeah no doubt about that and again I feel like they hit a lot of their check marks, right? I feel like the U.S. Open accomplished all they wanted to accomplish with this year's event from a revenue-generating standpoint. Yeah, and for sure, I would 
I don't know. We we will know at yeah. the end of the year, like around Christmas, the um or Hanukkah, the um the uh, financials will come out. But mm-hmm. um, I would just say, attention wise, it was a home run. I mean, it was Absolutely. a weird. They, I mean, they they ran. It, it was literally b i n g o. Like, oh my god, everything's yeah. breaking our there way. Were a lot of cool, weird stories this year. I mean, even like even the wheelchair tennis was interesting. Yeah. Like the, that that was cool. I mean, there just was a lot of. A lot of good stuff, given that, like, all the stars mm-hmm. lost or dropped out, like, immediately, you know, mm-hmm. uh, almost all of them uh, outside yeah. of... Um, no, Federer, Nadal, Serena, Osaka, Barty, yeah. all gone before the second week. Right, exactly. Um, and, and for it to go and as well as it did, it, yeah, yeah, for it to go as well as it did, I I, I think they would have, like, taken that any day. And um, yeah. commercially, I mean, I, I never worry about that event. As long as they're able to hold it, it's going to crush. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it yeah. it's just a weird, weird in a good way. It's a unique event that is just a key part of the year for sports mm-hmm. in the Northeast and let alone for the tennis audience. But it, it draws, it is one of the few tennis events. The, the slams are like this, but Australia is not really, I don't think. Um, in the French Open a little bit less, but Wimbledon and the U.S. Open really grabbed the American tennis audience. No, mm-hmm. really grabbed the American sports audience in the way that really no other tennis events are able to. No, I mean, no, Joakim Noah, Derek Rose, Gail King, uh, Cooper, Pitt, you name it, the who's of who was there. Also, of course, shout out to Rod Laver, who's never missed a high-level tennis match in his life. He is <laughs> Dude, literally – he just travels the tour with everybody. No, I think they like they have an expense portfolio, and they call it the Laver <laughs> file. And it's yeah. just like, all right, how much do we have to spend to get him to – okay, this is the flight. Yeah. yeah, that's fine. Book it. He's actually Diamond member Delta. It's just like the best yeah. lifestyle for him. He actually yeah. gets to dip into the Laver cup you know yeah. every month and just that's just, the only one exactly that's the only yeah. one that he's actually like it'd be hilarious if he didn't attend that he's like ah i don't do exos <laughs> um and just something funny yeah. like that but no of course again brett uh i know all of our listeners will have been smarter for reading your work for hearing this podcast and of course i have to ask anything on the horizon we should be waiting for um nothing that um in concrete but i mean definitely more with the ptpa and you know what part of that is because they now have a communications person so like there's <laughs> actually i don't have to try to get flashing possible like so honestly i think we will be hearing a lot more about them just because of that and that sounds simple but that's important you know like if you're trying to speak to the masses yeah i am like who they do that through you know so so i think there will, will be a lot to, more on that will you tell care to come on the show so that you know, again, I don't have to. Really? I, I can not straw man her, but actually just say, "Here's here's what I criticize. <clears throat> Tell me why I'm wrong." Yeah, she's um, great. Just yeah. dirty mouth. She cusses a lot. That's good. Yeah, we won't <laughs> yeah. go live. Yeah, I'll yeah. tell her. Don't worry. We'll quack it out. We'll quack it out. She's um, excellent. No, I enjoy yeah. her, and she's she's good. Um, so there'll be PTPA stuff for sure, and then strategic plan, um, and then also like I know. Um, the uh, U.S. Open Series tournaments are still in the market for a uh, sports betting sponsor. Uh, mm-hmm. Eddie Gonzalez told me earlier this year that they're not going to give away the category. So mm-hmm. they had had negotiations, and I think um, you know they probably didn't go the way they wanted. So they're holding out for now. So, um, but you know, I, um, that would be a big source of revenue if they're able to land that by the end of the year. Which um, hopefully, you know, they'll be able to do that because uh, that. You know those 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 checks from the sports betting companies are good checks 
So um, that that would be something that I would keep an eye on too, because those 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 um, those events at that level could really use that money. That would that would shore things up pretty well for yeah. them. You know, those two fifties and and the city opens. So no, that twelve percent of of your revenue coming from TV isn't going to pay for itself. So yeah, I no, agree no, for that's you not for all those two fifties. And so again, my final thought for you, just because I like to present an original thought to all of my guests before they leave. Ryan Rosillo with hair. I think that's the person you look most like. I've decided after staring at your face for an hour. And I think that's a compliment. I think that's a compliment. Again, I, 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 I don't know if you take it as a compliment or not, but I see the comp. I, you know, Rosillo, obviously prominent podcaster, former radio host, ESPN. I think you're him with hair. I think that's it. I'm googling him. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, oh, he's big. I know. It, out, you know I was gonna say you don't lift as much, but but I don't lift any at all. <laughs> you lift numbers, heavy numbers, up mm-hmm. and down. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. I I cut my hair a lot, so this is a, this is a style right now. I'm going to uh, Las Vegas next week for SPJ's facilities and ticketing conference, so I'll have a different haircut then for sure. No, this was uh, good... this is one I did myself, so this will no, not it, be what I. First of all, it's a good do. look. You me saying you with hair is a compliment because he does. First of all, he's bald. I you know he doesn't have hair. He is bald. Um, yeah, um, but <laughs> again, hopefully, what did that really say? I think he's what number two podcast in in America, something like that. Nice. Three, right up there, and so hopefully that that's the real part i'm trying to emphasize is you're number one in our hearts so of course as always brett thank you so much for taking the time send my love to the family hope the kid is doing well and of course you are welcome back on the show at any time yeah i i think it's it's always funny that you're like what well, we do like 30 minutes or 45 minutes yeah. and we always do like an hour and 10 or something like that so yeah. that speaks to um uh my uh willingness to not cut you off in, at 45 minutes so, which I think okay. is, is well so, the good news so. is if you ever do cut me off i'll know something has changed but no i appreciate it again real quick the yeah. twitter plug it's brett just one t yes correct yeah, uh, of course you know. one. You, yes. that's how you know i know it well uh but of course brett thank you as always for taking the time we will chat with you again soon yes thanks see ya another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Sports Business Journal's Brett Cormick. A huge thank you to him for taking the time to chat. I was sincere when I said it throughout the podcast. You will be a smarter tennis fan if you're reading all of Brett's work over at SBJ. Yes, it's behind a paywall, but good journalism costs money. And again, a huge thank you to all of the work Brett does to cover the business side, the economics of the professional tennis world, all of the entanglements that we're all too aware exist, but never know the mechanics of. And Brett has done such a good job of showing us behind the curtain of what all of those entanglements look like. Again, you can read all of his work at Sports Business Journal. You can follow him on Twitter at BrettJust1T. Uh, of course, that's one of my favorite Twitter names out there. But look, we always appreciate getting the chance to change things up, take a look at some of the big picture items in the tennis world. Of course, we are still covering all of the action day in, day out happening this week in both the men's and women's uh, professional games. If you've missed any of that content, you can find it all on 
on our mini break podcast feed. We've had some exceptional guests on the Cracked Interviews podcast of late as well. I'm fortunate enough to be on Press Row, so we've got the chance to speak with Hoopy Hercots, Andy Murray, and others. You can hear those conversations on the Cracked Interviews feed. We were also down in Knoxville a few weeks ago. Got the chance to chat with a, a couple of Columbia superstars in Alex Kotzen, Austin Huang. Got the chance to speak with head coach Howie Endelman as well when I was in Kalamazoo. Uh, if you've missed any of those conversations, again, just hop on over to our Cracked Interviews podcast feed. And of course, like, rate, subscribe, review to each of our Cracked Rackets podcasts as well as our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. A shout out as always to our super producers, Max Fleener and Daniel Westoff for the but any job they do day in, day out. But with that said, for our fantastic guests, Sports Business Journal's Brett McCormick, our super producers, Fliegner and Westoff, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Hey, great job, and we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you.